If you don't mind, grab a Bible in front of you, fire up a smartphone or whatever, or whatever. we're going to walk through the Bible today. I'm not going to use uh, slides up there because I really just want to uh, walk through this passage with you. This is one of those ancient passages, um, primitive, it sounds weird, like a really weird Bible passage, um, but I think this, this primitive ancient passage uh, has an incredibly... Like a shocking amount of political implications. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about the politics of it, uh, but definitely introduce you to some of the, the ideas so that then you can not necessarily politically, but personally apply this. And then I hope it does um, spark some of your thinking as you think of, you know, lots of political debate these days. Um, rights, privileges, kneeling at national anthems, oppression, um, racism, um, confederate flag statues, all that stuff. I'm sure that some of the stuff speaks to some of that. I don't know how much, um, but also just, well, let me, let me, let me read and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, but I get excited when I, this like validates scripture to me, because this is a passage that a lot of times uh, you stop with, well, did that really happen or not? Okay, I believe it did. Okay, I believe it didn't. And kind of just let it, but you take a couple steps deeper and you just see this powerful underlying um, narrative with this story. And it opens up all kinds of thoughts about stuff today. And this is thousands of years ago. And it speaks to our headlines today. So, Genesis chapter 11. <clears throat> Genesis, first book of the Bible, if you're brand new to this. Uh, look for the big number 11, that's chapter 11. And I'm going to start off on in the first verse of chapter 11. and would love for you to follow along. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar... And settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So they got this new, th a new thing that they're doing with bricks. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. So they can make stuff now, not just stack rocks and mud. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. So they're, they got this new technology and they're rolling with it and they're all proud of themselves, but God comes to inspect. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And that's the end of the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, is that not a strange story? God comes down and he scatters people all over the earth, and that's that. Let's talk a little bit about some of the political implications of, of that um, story. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, me, because that's my favorite topic. 
Um, I was thinking the other day about myself and uh, thinking, thinking about just, just this, this sounds really bad, um, thinking about like levels of, of privilege. So like something we probably all, I think all of us in here, I think are, are Americans. And so um, at least right now you're in America. And so we have an advantage. Take the whole earth history, everybody that has ever lived, and, and we live in what is probably um, the safest in sense of we got the best protective environment. Like, like that even talks of North Korea. It, we are relatively protected by our military might. We're not worried about the Canadians invading overnight. We're not worried about the Mexicans rising up militarily and stealing our wives and children and taking our stuff and whatever, right? I mean, military speaking, we got economy, which even in our lower economic runs is still pretty good compared to most. Um, infrastructure. We got government on, on various levels and, and you may not like the president, but you know what? There's another side and there's a four-year cycle and there's a, we just, we live in a place of, of advantage. Even as crazy as it can seem from time to time, we live with a pretty strong advantage and I'm an American and I, and I have that. I'm also a, a suburbanite. There's a decent level of suburban advantage compared to some rural places in this country, compared to some urban places in this country in terms of education and things like that. The just suburban advantage. I grew up in, in, in a city with, with two parents who are still together, still married. There's, there's advantage there. I'm also a man. Not saying that men are better than women, but men have advantages. Statistically, we make one dollar on the dollar. Right? I mean, it's, it, look at the stats. There's, this is still very much a man's world. Shouldn't be that way, is. In addition to that, I am a white man now in my 40s. But when, when you look statistically, like I, statistically, white male, lots of statistical advantages. I am also an only child. Oh my gosh, does it get any better? It has always been all about me and all for me, and I get all the Christmas gifts. <clears throat> so stop for a minute and just take an inventory and realize that the fact that you're here and you maybe you drove here with a car, you maybe you have a couple pairs of you had a couple pairs of shoes to choose from, you had some clothes to pick out. We have significant advantage. And what we're going to see here, I think, is that the Tower of Babel is a story about what we do with the advantage and the resources that we have. What is God pleased with? What isn't God pleased with? Okay, let's turn back to chapter uh, 10. Chapter 10. Genesis 10. Now, remember that we tend to read the Bible like a textbook, even though it's not. We tend to read the Bible in chunks, 
But the ancients memorized and talked about large sections of Scripture way before there were chapters and verses. So it was meant like a story form. So you always want to look at what's before any kind of a strange passage. And the, 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 the Tower of Babel for me is somewhat of a strange passage. So let's look at, at chapter 10. Chapter 10, and I'm going to start in verse 8. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. And in that ancient Hebrew language, what I think it's picking at, and some of the other translations like the English Standard Version will say, he was the first of his kind. So mighty warrior, also a hunter, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, the first centers of his kingdom were Babylon. Eric, Akkad, Kelna, and Shinar. So Shinar is where we learned in chapter 11 the Tower of Babel comes from. So it's calling to mind, basically, Nimrod started the thing that became Shinar where they used the bricks to build the Tower of Babel. A couple things with this story. Nimrod was a warrior. This is the first reference to an actual military figure. Interestingly enough, if you follow the flow of Genesis, chapter 6, God destroys the world with a flood. The reason, he says, is because there's too much violence. So he destroys the world with the flood. By chapter 9, Noah and his family come out of the ark, and the first thing God says is, enough with the violence. Chapter 10, one chapter later, now we're past domestic violence and we've actually upgraded the violence to military violence. And what this passage is very clear to point out is that Nimrod, a great warrior, built his kingdom. Now we got military kingdom building, also known as empire. Now we're building empires. This is the start of Babylon. If you know enough about the Old Testament, you know that the notorious bad guys of the Old Testament were the Babylonians. They were the oppressive boot. They were the evil empire. And whenever a Jew, like there are certain places that you hear of and immediately your mind goes, like if I say, um, Hitler's Nazis, North Korea, Pittsburgh, places like that, you immediately get these things in your mind and you know that's bad. That's bad. And so when these ancient Jews listened to this story and they spoke about Babylon and Shinar, they immediately got evil empire in their head. So immediately now we know that this story about a tower is going to be a story about the start of an evil empire. Now notice, this story calls attention to a specific skill set that this empire has. They are able now to forge bricks and stack the bricks and um, like fortify the bricks with tar. So while everybody else is stacking rocks, and dry and mud, they are now able to build very strong structures with bricks. They have a new technology that is a game changer. And they use that 
to build their city and specifically to build a tower. They use their new technology to make things better and more spectacular for themselves so that they won't be like everybody else. And God inspects, and God says, this is not good, and he scatters. So the first empire is being built, and the people are using military might and technology to their own advantage, and God scatters that. One of the underlying messages through the whole Bible is the political message of what about the empire that uses its resources for its own gain? How about the underdog? How about a mindset where everybody wins? This is, this is throughout the whole scripture and has enormous implications for America and for Americans. What do we do when we have the technology when we have the resources, when we have the advantage. Let's look at the words of Jesus because it's one of, one of his favorite topics has to do with living either with advantage or living when you are the one being oppressed. And in this case, he's talking to people with advantage. Turn to Luke chapter 18, please. I want to say from the first service, it's on like, if you're using one of those Bibles, it's like 7, 731, 732, something like that. <clears throat> Luke 18, and, and we're going to start in uh, verse 18 of chapter 18. Is 732 yeah. kind of right? Yeah, okay, 732. <clears throat> Luke 18, verse 18. So this is thousands of years after the, uh, the Tower of Babel. Um, but I think we're going to see the same elements of the story here. A certain ruler, and I can stop right there, um, because what this would have communicated to um, Luke's earliest audience and in what makes up this story is this synagogue ruler. This is a person with a, with a, a heavy-handed position in his society, in his culture, and, and almost certainly he wasn't born in lowly beginnings and picked himself up by his bootstraps, pulled himself up by the bootstraps and earned by hard work. That's not the way it worked back then. It was haves and have-nots and it was pretty much determined by your last name. Right? It was, it was how you were born. And so this is a guy who has a position. He's in the good old boys club. The system works for him. He's a ruler. <clears throat> and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you can hear the sarcasm in Jesus' response. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In other words, Jesus is kind of poking at the fact that, that this guy is probably not um, in Jesus' camp. He just wants a blessing here. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder. Uh, do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Be religious. Follow the rules. Standard of morality. All these I've kept since I was a boy. So this guy's saying, you know, I've been in the pipeline. I've lived right. I got that. <clears throat> 
When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, remember, the kingdom of God is in heaven after we die. The kingdom of God is God's flow of life. It's God's approach to life, which is using what we have lovingly so that everybody wins. The kingdom of God is generosity. It's love. And what he says is, it is really, really hard for people who live with advantage to enter into God's flow of life. Because advantage tends to lead us thinking about more advantage for ourselves, and it makes it harder for us to live in a way of like communal sharing and giving and generosity. It just does. Because what almost always starts to happen is the people that have collaborate together to win even more. And the people that don't have have less and less of a chance to win now because the haves are working together for greater advantage. That's what happened in the Tower of Babel. People in the empire used their advantage to gain more advantage. And Jesus looks at the heart of this guy. Now, he doesn't look at his other followers and say, sell everything. He's exposing the problem. And the problem is that this guy is used to winning. This guy is used to being in the club. This guy is used to other people admiring him. This guy is a part of this other gospel that says, if you believe the right things and live the right way, you're good. And there's a dangerous stream of that alive and well in American Christianity today. Believe the right things, pray this prayer, and read your Bible and don't have an affair, and you're good. He says, you still lack one thing. Use your advantage for the good of everybody, and then you'll get it. Now, there's one other story that I want to point you to. Jesus is a little more forceful in his language here. This is Luke chapter 12, a couple, couple chapters back, Luke 12. And I'm going to start in verse 42. Luke 12, I'm going to start in verse 42. And we're going to end with a verse that I, I, I want you to kind of leave with today and maybe write it on a little note and, and just live with it. Let, it. let it marinate this week. Jesus said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? So he's talking about picture, picture a wealthy owner who has a manager who is responsible for feeding the servants at the appropriate time. It will be good for that servant 
whom the master finds doing so when he returns, doing his job. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. He then begins to use the resources he has for himself at the expense of the have-nots, right? That's what Jesus is describing here. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he is not aware of, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. He knows better. He had a position of influence. He knew better. But the one who does not know, the have not, does things deserving punishment, will be, will be beaten with few blows. In other words, the burden is on the person with the advantage. For everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. That's the verse that I'd love for you to write down. In your car, take it with you. Send it to yourself in an email. <clears throat> to the one who has been given much, much will be demanded. Because see, Jesus flips it in his day and time and in much of society, having stuff, an education, position, wealth, affluence, advantage, was seen as a sign of getting it right. It was a sign or a symbol of God being pleased with you. Jesus says, nope, let that be a sign to you that there are all the higher expectations for you. Instead of looking at your stuff and saying, look how awesome I am, it's look at all your stuff and think, look how much God expects from me. Look how much God expects me to be concerned about others. The master had the manager with the resource meant to hand out. That's what that was all about. So Jesus says, you look at your resource. You look at your advantage and see that as God expecting you to give that to those in need. And I think it applies to money. I think it applies to talent, to education. What does it apply to? Look to your advantage. Look to the things that are going well for you. Look to anything that God has entrusted you with and see it not as a way for you to gain more, but as a way for you to help others in need. I think this passage, this Tower of Babel, weird, odd, one of the first messages, one of the first political messages in the Bible continues on through the life of Jesus and I think that we can take that and run with it. I mean, this is going to be up to you to take and apply to your own situation. What do you need to be giving toward? What do you need to be fighting for? Who do you need to be fighting for? What causes do you need to be championing? What side do you need to take 
to be seen as a worthy steward of what you have, a worthy steward of advantage. Right, we're going to sing one uh, the, this song and, and just want you to kind of take in. Where do you want to land? There's light, there's darkness, there's have, there's have-nots. There's advantage, there's disability, there's disadvantage. Where do you want to land, not only on political issues, but in very real opportunities in your life? What kingdom, what kingdom do you want to build? Let's pray. Father, we're building some kind of kingdom. It's either our own kingdom or your kingdom. Help us to live in a pathway of, of awareness. Help us to choose the path of blessing for those in need. In Jesus' name, amen.